This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as usual, is AJ Schultz, and you can follow him at AJ Schultz24. Well, folks, the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs have come to an end, leaving only four teams with cup aspirations. Of those, two teams have never won the big trophy. And as with our previous pod from a couple of weeks ago, we will review the second round and preview the conference finals on today's show. And once again, we welcome back Matt Kay. Uh, you can follow him. He's a great follow at Matt underscore striker underscore for his thoughts on the second and third round. Uh, uh, Want to bring AJ on board first, Matt, and then we'll bring you in. So AJ, uh, what's up with you, bud? Hey, just, uh, you know, enjoying some hockey. We had uh, some pretty exciting matchups, some game sevens. Uh, I'm excited about what we're going to have in the coming days here as well. We're going to have some daytime hockey for those of you that are interested with the 2019 uh, IIHF World Championship. So we'll have that uh, during the day. So, you know, for those of you that uh, listen to our pod at at work, it's another option for you to find those live streams during work and and, uh, put those games on. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So yeah, everything's clicking and and hockey is rolling for full force here. Matt, how are you doing, buddy? I'm happy to be here. And I love that you are encouraging people to forego their responsibilities (laughs) to watch hockey. You are a man after my own heart. Make I that. mean, if I'm going to watch it, I feel like I should encourage others to. Fortunately, I get paid to have it on TV. But uh. <laughs> yeah, start ramming that down everybody's throats, Matt. Uh, AJ, that's very nice of you. I, I don't want to condone uh, uh, that kind of behavior at work, but maybe on the slide, people can set up their their phones or something on their desk and, <laughs> and uh, double dip there, as it were. Uh, we're gonna, guys, we're going to take a bit of a turn from uh, the playoffs for a moment, though. There's a whole grab bag of, of topics that... Uh, Matt, AJ and I dive into in the late spring and early summer months to fill in our pod, and we got a whole bunch of topics here off the top that I'd like to go through with you guys, beginning with uh, some of the off-ice news that kind of dominated early on, and that's the fact that two experienced gentlemen have taken new seats in uh, GM roles around the league. Steve Eiserman coming back home to Detroit, 
and Ken Holland coming back to Edmonton. From, you know, I'll open up the discussion by saying I think both of these guys have very challenging uh, situations in the short term. They have some nice pieces to work with, but there's a little thing called a salary cap that they both got to get around and uh, wrap their heads around in terms of situations here. AJ, I'll start with you and, and get your thoughts on, on the situations here. Do you like one better than the other, let's say? Well, I mean, it's hard to not like uh, Steve Yeiseman returning to Detroit, especially after uh, all the success that he built in Tampa. Let's, you know, I know the playoffs were a little bit of a bust, but let's be clear that team that had so much regular season success was built by Steve Yeiseman. And this is not uh, Bruce Baugh's club. Now he's kept it together. He's going to have some challenges moving forward. And I think he can do a good job there, but this is Stevie wise club. That's absolutely uh, a guarantee there. So I would be excited if I'm a Detroit fan to see what he can do there in Edmonton. I'm cautiously optimistic here. And that's because Ken Holland presided over one of the most successful uh, deck couple of decades for Detroit. But the end here was a little bit uh, stale. And I think some of that has to do with Ken Holland, maybe sticking to his usual tactics and not uh, adjusting to today's NHL and today's game in a salary cap era. And so I'm cautiously optimistic that he can bring that kind of experience to the, to a team that's had some general manager issues in the past. Um, but the last couple of years is definitely a concerning issue for me. I do want to mention also quickly, one huge steal uh, by keeping their own in the Vegas Golden Knights with keeping McCrimmon around and promoting him to the general manager rather than letting him leave the organization. It sounds like everything's going to essentially say the same for them uh, with McPhee moving up to president of hockey operations for the club. So it'll still be the two guys working together, but that's a huge coup for them just to keep their own guy because I know he was on a lot of radars, including Edmonton. So uh, yeah, for me, uh, number one, is Stevie Y. Uh, that's the best deal here. I put Vegas at number two and then Con Holland at three. Like I said, those last couple of years are a bit of a, 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 I won't call it a red flag quite yet, um, but it's a concern. So those are the deals as I see them. Uh, what, a, what about you, Matt? Do you break it down any differently? You like those moves? Don't like them? What do you see? Uh, as usual, I am sitting right next to you in this car. At times I feel I'm even on your lap and I'm asking you if you can roll down the window. Yeah, Steve Eisenman is the identity of that franchise. And I think that speaks volumes that an off-ice player is still the, the quote-unquote face of that team. But I think it's feel-good for fans in Motor City to have Stevie Y back. It just, he belongs there. So let's see if that turns around the fortunes in Detroit. As far as Edmonton goes, I do agree with you. I just think that fans in Alberta have been waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing has happened. And I do think that it's going to take an infusion of youth all the way, not just on the ice, but all the way up the corporate ladder. I agree with you. I, I don't know if the game hasn't passed by a Ken Holland. I don't want to be disrespectful or blasphemous, but it seems that what's going on with that team, they're going to need someone like, like an Iserman, you know, almost, almost juxtapose this situation in order for that team that has all of the bullets, but they don't have a gun with which to shoot. So it's going to be curious to see what happens in Edmonton. Yeah, part of the reason that I agree with you, Matt, is that uh, the salary cap issue, issue might be working against them with a couple of bad contracts that they got to shed. And already Holland has gone on record as saying that one of the areas he's going to take a hard look at is the goaltending situation where they spend a lot of money on, 
on Koskinen, but he identified that as a first area of concern. And we've seen around the league a couple of GMs uh, named Lou Lamorello and uh, the guys uh, uh, done it in Toronto and and on the uh, on the island finding a goalie first, and and so uh, that's a challenge for for the Edmonton situation because I don't think they want to hang their hat on Koskinen, and I think they've got a couple of ugly contracts, like I said, with Lucic's deal primarily primarily among them that's going to hold them back and uh, that salary cap issue is the same one that's going to delay the turnaround in Detroit fellas because they have a couple of uh, aging vets who are not giving a good return for the money that they cost and uh, and the wings have to sort through that uh, rubble before they can take a couple of steps forward so uh, I think it's good moves in both of those cities and you mentioned the uh, Las Vegas one was a, a key development too, AJ in terms of keeping keeping the card that they were dealt uh, earlier on and so good for them on that score so uh, we'll watch and see how that unfolds but another topic guys that uh, hit the sports pages and and the airwaves was talk about the women's hockey league issues Uh, as we know there's been uh, there's been two hockey leagues that have been trying to make some headway one primarily in the states and one primarily here in Canada and the one in Canada has uh, had the financial issues that caused it to fold and the ladies have banded together including some of the biggest names in the sport Hilary Knight and Marie-Philippe Poulain. Uh, these are two great stars among 200 who have uh, organized themselves to say, we're not going to play anywhere until we get a proper hockey league set up. And guys, as a fan of the Olympics and, and, and uh, the Winter Olympics particularly, I can remind you that some of the best uh, action that we saw in the, the last two or three Olympics was the women's hockey. And now we can talk about the fact that it's not just the Canadian and American teams, but a couple of European teams have closed the gap. So I think it's high time that the women get their own league. And, and the NHL, I think, is, is it's incumbent on them to step forward and help the women get their league organized and, and I think they're going to have a great following very very, very quickly. Uh, we all know that the, there's an incredible rise in terms of the kids hockey on the, on the girls side that is growing and, and it's just a natural feeder to what should evolve very quickly on the women's side. Your thoughts uh, Matt let's start with you. Well, uh, I remember growing up playing in leagues. There were always girls playing in in our leagues. So this is something that I'm used to. And a lot of times people talk, and it's a slippery slope, especially here in the States. Oh, strong women, empowered women. I grew up with four sisters and the strongest mother in the world. I've only known empowered women. So I think that it's a shame that, that they have to go to this length in order to be seen. Uh, I think that they should stand and be recognized for their accomplishments outside of their gender. And I think a lot of people are putting a focus on, well, it's the men, it's the women, equal league, equal pay. They're athletes just like anyone else and let them play. uh, AJ, finish it up. Yeah, I think we saw uh, another intriguing step in this option, you know, this uh, direction towards an NHL supported league yesterday when uh, uh, Kim Pagula, the uh, co-owner of the Sabres, announced that they were going to be turning over uh, control of the Buffalo Buttes back to the the league, the NWHL. Uh, And so. They were the one team that was owned by an outside investor. Um, and I think it was a good thing for the league. And I think it was heading in the right direction. But with um, 
you know, with Gary Bettman saying that the league didn't want to interfere as long as women's hockey uh, had an existing league, which I actually respect that decision. I don't feel like it's right necessarily for the NHL to come in and, you know, dominate over an existing league. But between the boycott, uh, I think there's an opportunity here for you know, unfortunately for the people involved, but in some ways in a, in a good step for that NWHL to kind of fold itself and allow the NHL to come in and set up a, a league of its own. And I think we've seen the first step in that with the Pagulas pulling back on a team that they were supporting and that'll set them up to maybe set up something on, on their own in the future. What I like most about the idea of an NHL uh, supported league, similar to what we have with the WNBA and the NBA, is that it would open up the opportunity for these games to get airtime on NHL Network. And I think that, more than anything, is going to grow the game. You know, you have local fans that are going to go, obviously, um, but, you know, it's hard to go. And especially in states like Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, I'll throw Boston in there as well. There tends to be, uh, between college hockey, between kids playing youth hockey, there tends to be an overabundance where, uh, you know, going to games just isn't an option. So the opportunity to have it on TV, I think, would be huge. And I think an NHL-supported league would open up that door. And so I think this is a step in the right direction. And I think we definitely need to get there. Uh, how it all works out, we'll see. But I'm excited for the possibilities. Guys, there's a new coaching staff in Philadelphia, and I'm not really sure what they're trying to prove over here by recycling three guys that have bounced around the league a little bit, two more than the third guy. But Alain Vigneault and Michel Therrien formed two-thirds of their new coaching triumvirate there. Vigneault getting the main chair. Mike Yo is the third guy. These guys all have experience as head coaches, but man, I don't feel good about the fact that they've joined forces here, and I think Philly's attempt to, to get a grab bag of, of these recycled parts is just another failed attempt at this team's efforts to right the ship here in Philadelphia. AJ, I'll start with you and get your rebuttal to my comments. I mean, you won't get a rebuttal, that's for sure. You're going to get full-blown agreement. I've talked about this uh, on this show in the past over the last four years. I hate, hate, hate that they just recycle old coaches. I didn't like that Ken Hitchcock went to Edmonton. He's going to be out now. They're going to try and find somebody else. I think it was a great decision initially for them to go to, with Gordon uh, and give him the opportunity to move up. Now he's fortunately for them going to stay with the organization and retake the head coaching job in Lehigh Valley. But I think it's a a terrible choice to go with a head coach who's been around and, and as you said, getting recycled. Having said that, I don't hate the additions of Mike Yo and Michel Therrien as assistants. Having assistant coaches who have been head coaches, I think, is a viable option. The Penguins have had a ton of success with Jacques Martin running the defense and his name's being cycled around as a potential uh, head coach option as well for some other teams. So from that standpoint, I don't hate those decisions, but I'm just not big on well, let's find somebody else who is an NHL head coach. You see this in other sports, too, where the same guys cycle through and cycle through and new blood doesn't get an opportunity to succeed. I think that's one of the things that I've loved about the Penguins in their decisions over the last couple of years. You mentioned Michel Therrien. That didn't work out. They brought in Dan Pilesma. That was successful for a little while before it wasn't. And then they did the same thing with Mike Sullivan, who didn't have any head coaching experience. He's got a pair of uh, cups now. And so I just I like the infusion of new blood. 
Maybe Matt's going to be the difference uh, maker here. Maybe he likes this club, uh, this decision, but uh, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Are you with Paul and I? Is this a bad choice? Or are you going out on a limb here? Well, I'm just marveling at how you managed to turn the conversation from the Flyers <laughs> to the Penguins with just such swiftness. It was amazing. I just looked around and I said, wait, are we, are we talking about the Flyers or are we talking about the Pens? So good to you. Uh in wrestling, we have a term, and I'll clean it up. Don't stuff 10 pounds of candy into a five-pound bag. And it looks like that's what this is. But to your point, having uh, Yao and Tarian kind of over Viggs' shoulder may keep Alain Vigneault honest, or it might keep him to, to try to change things up. But I, I do agree. It's just it's trying to build this monster, this Frankenstein of coaching <laughs> over there in Philadelphia. And uh, it's going to be intriguing to see what happens. I know Vigneault from being, being a Ranger fan and knowing his style, but... Again, being a Ranger fan, I don't want to see the Flyers succeed. And I'm sorry to all my friends in Philly. And I know AJ is smiling. His beard is just filled with Cheerios and smiling <laughs> because he has a child back there. But, yeah, I, I agree. It's just it's uh, more of the same. And what's the old saying? The more things change, the more they stay the same. It sounds better in French, but my French isn't good. So You guys are such homers. And this is a guy who's a big Toronto fan. All my <laughs> listeners know that. But, man, oh, man, <laughs> i got to wipe myself off here. Uh, but I'm going to dive right in and, and uh, use the Leafs as an example for the next topic, fellas. And that is uh, with a number of RFAs out there this summer, are we going to see an offer sheet? And I'll use the Toronto situation as an example. When I say, sure, everybody's aware of Mitch Marner at the high end of the table, and the compensation for him would be expected to be like four first-round draft picks for any team that extends the offer sheet. The Leafs will be compensated that way. But to a lesser extent, the Leafs also have Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Johnson, who would uh, come in at a lot lower in terms of the expected uh, new contract, and the compensation is a lot lower. It could be as, as little as a third or fourth round pick. And there's a number of teams that are in cap jail, just like the Leafs are. We've talked about Tampa, we've talked about Winnipeg, and uh, a couple other teams that face the same dilemmas this offseason. I'm going to ask you, Matt, are we going to see an offer sheet this summer? Uh, stranger things have happened. Uh, and if you look at the cues that baseball is giving to the sports world, I'm wondering if now the rest of the leagues of the sports world are going to start to pull back now and start to take the power out of the players' hands. Because we've seen it where these players, we saw it last season with the, the, the Tavares issue and everyone's chomping at the bit and just waiting and checking their phone for the news. I think it's going to be interesting if all the teams in the league band together and say, Let's do it this way. They can take the control away from the players, but at the end of the day, money flies. Yeah, you'll see your offer sheets, and, and, and you'll see all these names being bandied about. It's really, other than the playoffs, it's the most fun time of the NHL season is when, when the free agents are around, the RFAs and the UFAs. And AJ, I think we're all looking forward to July the 1st, but uh, what's your sense? Are we going to see that offer sheet one way or another this summer uh, or a series of them? And I think it could really start a snowball effect, te teams uh, picking off each other in that regard. Yeah, I, th I think we might. And here's why uh, you look at the, you know, how it breaks down in terms of the compensation you have to give up. If you sign a player for a contract in between 2.1 and 4.2 million, you have to give up one second round pick 
guess there's a number of players who would fall into this. Casper Kapanen and Andreas Johnson, I think, would both be, uh, you know, fit into that. I think teams yeah. would give up a second round pick for either one of those guys. Uh, Kyle Connor might be a little bit higher, but maybe you could get him on the high end of that. Uh, and again, I definitely think you would give up that that level of pick there. So I just think there's so many guys here who could fall into that early category. Uh, you know, St. Louis uh, is charging away. Uh, uh, they've got Oscar Sunquist, who's another guy who could fall into that category. Uh, the Devils have Will Butcher. Uh, again, another option here. And so I do think there's just so many guys that could fall into a really manageable, you know, second round pick offering. When you get above 4.2, you're looking at a first round pick and a third round pick. And I think that is where you get a little too pricey. And I don't know if there's enough of these guys that'll fall in that category below 2.1, where you're looking at just a third round pick uh, offered here. There might be one or two, but I think there's this sweet spot here and a number of guys who would fall in there where a team would be like, I would absolutely give up a second round pick to get this guy on my team. What about four first rounders for a guy like Marner? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, are you in the same camp? I think my laughter tells you everything. I mean, that's that's a lot. That is a lot. But then again, it depends on which team is sitting out there going, let's go for this now. Let's do this now. But I don't know if I'm a GM of a club. I I wring my hands and I rub my beard. There we go. Well, before we slide into uh, the talk of the actual playoffs that are going on we'll talk about a player who's facing a one-game suspension uh, charlie mcavoy of the bruins uh, got uh, his head on a guy's uh, his shoulder on a guy's head and uh, knocked him down pretty forcefully and uh, the result was a one-game suspension uh, this largely because he's a first-time offender uh, are we good with this guys matt uh, what do you think uh, listen again, McAvoy is a local boy and I'm also, I was raised in a time of toxic masculinity is playoff hockey. I understand the safety. I, I, I watched the hit several times and you know what, man, let them play. It's the playoffs. Keep your head up. We've been taught that since Pee Wee. keep your head up and these things won't happen. AJ agree or disagree? Yeah. Yeah, I think one is enough. You know, it was it felt like the guy was falling down anyway, uh, looked a little more incidental. Uh, I, I'm fine with one game. I, I don't think it's overall. I don't think it's going to impact the series that much, you know, missing him for just one game. Uh, so it is what it is. It happened. You obviously can't completely avoid it. But uh, I think two would have been excessive. All right, guys, with that, let's slide into our second round review, and we'll begin with the Boston-Columbus series, the series that uh, the Bruins came into as uh, favorites, and they won it four games to two. You guys got it right. I was uh, still licking my wounds, so I, did, I couldn't pick Boston. <laughs> so that was a bit of an asterisk for me. The Bruins outscored the, uh, their counterparts by a count of 17 to 11, and for me, guys, the difference was Tuka Rask playing at a great level and uh, matching and maybe exceeding Sergei Bobrovsky in the goaltending battle, which I don't think I saw coming. But uh, Rask was a key part in this process. But also the top guns on the Columbus side were silenced through the series. And uh, instead, the Bruins kept chugging along with their top two lines. David Krejci collected five points in the first round, five points in the second round for some great secondary scoring to uh, help tip the scales in the Boston favor. We know all about the big line there. But 
but between them and the fact that that Brendan Carlo really emerged on the blue line for me in these playoffs and and uh, delivered and doubled down with a great performance in this series that gives them two outstanding defense pairs with a solid defensive defenseman and a solid offensive minded blue liner that uh, that gave them a bit an advantage over the Columbus side where I thought that they had the two best defensemen in this series. So uh, Boston, full value for the victory from my standpoint. And uh, Matt, I'll ask you to break it down. What did you see as the difference makers for the Bruins? Oh, first things first is that John Tortorella needs to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> it really <laughs> seemed to me that the minute Torts came out and it was something to the effect of, oh, we've dented Tukarask. Man, oh, man, did Boston just go, okay, tired of playing. It really is like when a guy just slowly takes off his gloves to fight versus when he slams them down. The guy that slowly takes them off scares me. Bobby Probert used to do that. You know, it's like, oh, no. So when Torts did that, I I watched the wheels come off of this thing. But um, on the ice, I was impressed with what uh, Coyle, Heinemann, and Johansson did for, uh, for Boston. It gives them depth, and it makes them incredibly scary. And to your point, Carlo really did a great job on Panarin. He really, truly did. And now this makes makes this young core that Boston has on the blue line. Everyone knew it, but now we're seeing it. We're watching this, and I think the next series is going to be exciting because we're going to see the battle being done in a lot of two-way hockey, and that's how I like my playoff hockey. Outside of that, uh, Bob's gave up a couple of soft goals. I think it was in game six. Uh, you know, He really just kind of fell apart. I think Boston's clicking right now, and uh, they deserve to win this series, and that's why I picked them. AJ. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that that Matt said there. You know, I think, uh, you know, Columbus uh, kind of just, you know, fell apart a little bit at the end there. Um, Things kind of dried up. I I do think, um, you know, I think, as Matt said, Bobrovsky struggled a a titch there. uh, And so that uh, that became problematic as well. Uh, And so I, I do think. Uh, overall, I, I think it deserved to be uh, a six-game series. I think both clubs uh, were playing uh, well. I, I honestly, I believe John Tortorella when he said that they absolutely were coming back for a game seven, um, but it, it obviously didn't go their way that night. So uh, for me, uh, I, I think Matt kind of actually summed it up really well and, and kind of stole all my my uh, breakdown there. So uh, what goes around comes around, I guess. I should start <laughs> looking over should stop looking over Matt's shoulder. And uh, so uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead. I'll lead us into the next series. You've got the, the Islanders coming in off a four game sweep of my penguins riding high with the, you know, unbeatable Robin Leonard in the pipes and they get swept themselves by Carolina for the first time since I think the, the Sabres in the nineties, I think the mid nineties was the last time that happened. I know it was Buffalo. Uh, they, uh, you know, Carolina dominated this series outscoring 13 to five. Uh, and they did it in part without their number one netminder. Peter Mrazek was dealing with a, an injury there. Curtis McElhaney came in and really knocked it out. I was talking to uh, some Carolina fans the other day and uh, I reminded them that at the start of the season, Scott Darling, was going to be their number one netminder, and they they politely asked me not to bring that up again. So uh, the the series really, uh, you know, I think was a shocker in a lot of ways, especially with how well the Islanders, uh, you know, covered everything there in, in against Pittsburgh. So uh, we'll see what's next on the horizon. Matt, what did you take away from that series? 
I took away a big smile. <laughs> I love the fact that the Islanders got swept by a bunch of jerks. But all kidding aside, I think that the Islanders sat for a few days. I think they may have had six days off. And I think that really made the difference. And I also saw that this is a young Islander team that they, they really missed a guy like Tavares here. They missed a true leader that can say, get on my back and let's go. And they just did not show up and they got spanked. But honestly, if you're an Islander fan, you have a lot to look forward to. But as a Ranger fan, I was smiling ear to cauliflower ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I, I have to say I was thoroughly impressed by the Carolina team in this series. Not only did their defense step up, as we all thought that they that they could with the, the quartet that they, they can throw out there, but I like the fact that they got offense from two lines here. Uh, we know Jordan Stahl is a pretty good defensive center, but he's got nine points in 11 playoff games. Sebastian Ajo is matching him the same way, and some guys come out of nowhere like Warren Fogle, nine points for his uh, playoff run. It seems every year there's a real dark horse that comes out of nowhere to, to chip in in the score. So they're getting it from everywhere. And then in the Nets, when uh, one of the two guys went down, Peter Mrazek, he's had an outstanding playoff with a 2.22 goals against in nine appearances. In comes Curtis McElhinney, and he even goes better than that. He's 1.56 over the three appearances. So I know, you know, looking ahead, people are going to say, Tuka Rask gives Boston a heck of a big edge in net. But the defensive structure of Carolina shone through in this series, and I think they can bring that to the table in the next round and augmented by the fact that they have more than just one line of offense that they can count on. They've got some uh, bullets in the chamber that they can shoot and uh, that's what's carried them this far and they're hopeful for an extended run as well beyond this next round the third series one one i look at is one that uh, wound up recently and that is uh, san jose and colorado it went deep going seven games uh, san jose winning four to three in the end and we all had that outcome right maybe not the number of games but i think we were all on the san jose side of this thing finally one of the uh, higher rated teams <laughs> in the regular season comes through it's not happened too much in these playoffs but on the series the 20 to 18 was the goal differential and for me the fact that the sharks could win this without six games from uh, joe pavelski is a real feather in their cap and we really saw their star power on the blue line not just with uh, carlson and Burns, but Mark Edward Vlasic had a heck of a series back there for them, and they've got a lot of youngsters that uh, have risen through the ranks offensively to make them a very potent offense and a seamless transition. I was worried a couple of years ago when I thought this was an old team, guys, and I thought, ah, they got maybe one more playoff run, and they're going to have to rebuild, but they've rebuilt on the fly, and they're still one of the top teams in hockey, and uh, though it was a narrow victory, I think the better team did prevail in this series. Matt, what's your assessment? <laughs> Growing up, uh, I used to sit with my sister when she'd be getting ready to go out, and she'd always complain she had nothing to wear. And I'd always say, you have a 100 black dresses in your closet. That's the San Jose Sharks. They have a 100 black dresses in their closet. You can wear any one of them to a night out on the town and look dashing. And I think that's what we're, we're seeing here. And I know it might be a far-fetched analogy, but they really do. They have an outfit for every occasion. And anytime you look at anyone on their personnel, from rolling the lines to the defense, even on the bench, there's someone that you say to yourself, that guy could score the game winner. That guy could have a big play. And I think that's what we saw here. I think just Colorado was just outclassed. And as long as Marty Jones plays like Marty Jones, man, oh, man, this is still the team to beat, in my opinion. And AJ, put down your black dress 
I see you trying it on right now. You don't have the hips for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Matt, you make a great point there. You look at the top 10 point producers in the playoffs right now. Uh, there's four of them are from San Jose, and that includes Hurdle, Couture leading the way at 14, along with Brent Burns, who's also at 14. That's a point per game for each of those guys, by the way. Oh, and Eric Carlson, a big drop-off there with just 12 for him. So to your point, they've got forwards that can score. They've got D that can score. Oh, and they've also got this guy named uh, Pavelski, who's back in the lineup last night. And I think he was the difference maker in that game. Uh, You know, anybody that watched that, I think there was no – uh, no doubt about it that he, you know, took over that game in, in a way that he certainly is capable of and has in the past with a goal and an assist last night in, in game seven. And so I think the fact that they were able to get by, I think, in this series, I think if Pavelski plays the whole thing, let's say he was never injured, plays the whole thing. This is a five game, maybe six game series. Um, but the Sharks held on until they could get uh, their heart and soul guy back. And so I think. Uh, it really says a lot about this team, and I think they're going to have a lot of support from outside of the San Jose uh, you know, community. I think a lot of us casual fans now whose teams are eliminated and are just watching for the joy of hockey uh, could fall you know, on the San Jose train or, or probably the Carolina train as well, if I'm being perfectly honest. But we'll see uh, you know, where that falls. But I think uh, really Pavelski was the key here. Uh, Taking a look at the final uh, of the pre uh, post, uh, you know, behind us series, you have St. Louis at Dallas. The 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 Blues win in seven games, uh, including uh, the overtime uh, contest there that really uh, made this an exciting exciting series uh, down the stretch. And uh, you know, another team that I think got uh, production kind of from throughout the lineup. I don't think they're overly dependent on any one person right now. Um, you know, uh, maybe a, l- a little bit of Jaden Schwartz kind of leading the way there. But overall, I think their scoring is spread out in such a way similar to what we're seeing in San Jose. But uh, overall, uh, I thought Dallas put up a, an admirable fight uh, for their sake. I'm, I'm hoping that Matt's, uh, Matt Zuccarella enjoyed his time there and he'll be back uh, for them. He led the way for Dallas with 11 points uh, tied with Tyler Sagan. And they need another guy like that. You know, a lot of pressure has been on Ben and Sagan to produce. And, and I think when you look at most championship caliber teams of late, there's at least a third guy. Um, you know, they've got uh, Miro Heiskanen, who's who's kind of coming up and coming and, and could be that third guy. But I think they need somebody like Zuccarello back. Uh, but, you know, focusing on St. Louis, we'll talk about them when we get uh, to the next, you know, the Western Conference preview. Uh, Matt, what did you see in this series? Well, if the Sharks have a closet full of black dresses, then the Blues have a drawer with one comfortable T-shirt that they wear (laughs) no matter where they go. And yeah, they they didn't rely on anyone except for their goaltending. I I watched this series, and I think in that last game, I think St. Louis took like 40-some-odd shots and couldn't put something home. Uh, That series could have went either way. And honestly, it came down to a fundamental mistake. And anyone that plays knows 
Nobody picked up the guy coming in on that loose puck. Yeah. Bishop made the save and he leaned forward because he didn't want the puck to hit him. And the analysts were saying that. And every goalie does that. And he's a big boy. And everyone just stood around and watched as I think it was a maroon that just swooped in. How do you not pick that guy up? If you picked him up, we could be talking about Dallas going to the finals. So anyone could have won that series. I'm happy for my friends in St. Louis. But like I said, that could have went either way. And you know what, guys, I think it bears highlighting the third line of the St. Louis Blues really came up large in the last two games in that series. Patrick Maroon scoring a winner and uh, Tyler Bozak instrumental. Robert Thomas had an outstanding series, a couple of great games throughout. And, and they're one of the few teams in the whole playoffs that has got some steady production from the third line. And really, came, they came up large as difference makers here. And uh, I still like the makeup of this defense. You talked about the fact that, that uh, they poured a lot of shots on, on the Dallas goaltender, but Jordan Bennington was suntanning at the other end of the ice uh, on his beach chair. He didn't have a lot of work to do, thanks to the defensive structure in front of him. And uh, as long as that's in place, boy, St. Louis continues to be that team that turned things around uh, a 180 that I've never seen before from a team that went la- from last place in uh, around Christmas time to the hottest team in the second half and they've just kept it up and uh, boy that's uh, that's they're uh, they're rolling the boulder downhill right now and uh, and they'll be a tough out uh, as we look ahead and uh, that's what we're going to do right now uh, when we get to the conference final previews we'll take a look at the eastern side first fellas and uh, the Boston Bruins versus the Carolina Hurricanes once the lightning was eliminated uh, Boston fans had to think we got a shot here and they've parlayed it into a third round appearance and a home ice advantage they took the season series from Carolina but these teams have been bitter rivals for years and years and it's been uh, another year like that uh, in the books with uh, the fact that these guys have each traded 10 goals in those three games so not much to pick between them and when we start to break down the uh, forwards and defense and goaltending I don't think there's a huge difference between them other than the experience that the Bruins have with uh, their uh, numerous playoff runs and the fact they're an older team Uh, but um, AJ, I'd like you to break break down the forwards, and then uh, we'll take turns chiming in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, uh, I think there's there's more uh, of a top heavy lineup in, in what you're seeing in Boston. You know, they've got that big big line: Marchant, Bergeron, Pasternak. They're going to score a ton. Um, they've got a solid second line in DeBrusque and Krejci, and whoever plays right wing. Uh, right now, it's David Backus, but that's kind of a rotating group there. Uh, where it concerns me is the depth from there. I, I, their third line does have Marcus Johansson. I think he can produce. I've been very cold on Charlie Coyle uh, ever since he was still in Minnesota. He's just so hit or miss for me. And then their fourth line uh, is, you know, gritty guys who who you need to win games, but they're not going to score goals for you. On the reverse, you've got a little more evenly spread out. Um, group, but not the headliners, you know, Aho and Williams on the first line for Carolina with again, whoever's playing left wing for them right now, it's Warren Fogle could be Michael Furland if they get him back. Um, but those guys aren't on the same page as the first line for Boston. But I don't share the same concerns. I like the third line for Carolina better in Svechnikov, Walmart, and McGinn. I think the second lines are pretty evenly matched for Carolina. You've got Niederreiter, Stahl, and Teravainen. Um, So I like that third line better for Carolina. The fourth line is, again, pretty similar, although I think they get a little bit more scoring touch out of a guy like Jordan Martinhook, uh, Martinhook rather, uh, than what you get uh, uh, from Boston there. So for me, uh, it's, you know, this kind of classic case of 
star power, top heaviness, how, you know, how well can that carry you versus a more evenly spread out grouping here that doesn't necessarily have that same scoring power as the first line. So that's, that's the way I kind of see the forwards shaking out. Paul, your take. Well, I, I know we mentioned coaches, too, off the top and some changes, but I got to tip my hat to Bruce Cassidy. He's outfoxed two of the better-known NHL coaches around the league so far in these playoffs with the, uh, the fact that they got past Toronto and then uh, with the fact that they beat out Tortorella and gang in the last series. So I think it's incumbent on Boston to take advantage of their home ice and keep uh, the top line against uh, away from Jordan Stahl as much as possible. He's one of the other better two-way centers in hockey, more known for his defensive side and his size. He'll wear on Patrice Bergeron if they go head-to-head, I think. So they'll want to keep that matchup separate as much as possible, and we'll look for that tonight to see how that unfolds. I think if they go head-to-head against Ajo's line, Bergeron's unit will eat them up, and uh, that could really tip the scales in their favor. So I'm looking at the home ice and the deployment of these, these forward lines. You gave us a good breakdown of how they they match up uh, in terms of the skills, but I think it's just how they're deployed that will tell the tale. And uh, home ice will be a big factor there, Matt. That's uh, that's what I see. Uh, any additional thoughts from you? Well, let me see what's left on this plate. Hmm. <laughs> how much? You guys cleaned it up well. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, and I also think that it's important not to overlook the home ice, not to, not to overlook the option of who you can pull back and who you can throw out there. But I think a big thing beyond the personnel is that let's not forget how this game is played. Boston will pummel these kids with their forecheck. I think this is men against boys. And we can throw around all these names. And I know a lot of my friends in Boston are just kind of waiting to see if what DeBrusque really is. How great can he really be or not? And there's a lot going on with Carolina. They do offer a lot of options. But but to both of your points, this is just – I think the Bruins have a slight edge in the forwards category and it's going to come from that four check and it's going to come from just the depth and gravity of the names on the back of the jerseys. I know that might sound silly, but uh, can you imagine is Svechnikov going up against, I'm uh, making it up against Marshawn. I mean, who do you put your money on, on that thing? Like you said, I just think that the Bruins top guys will eat up Carolina's guys with a fork and knife, the way you guys ate everything off the plate. Well, we're going to give you first crack at breaking down the defenses. Now you made me feel guilty. So why don't you take a look at the blue lines? There's lots to chew on there. I think there's a lot of depth on both sides. Guys, I got to interject real quick. We got to stop saying eat and chew when we're talking about a team that features Brad Marchant. He might actually take a bite out of somebody. (laughs) Beauty. (laughs) Matt, take us to the defense. Yeah, I, I think here, I think the defense, the uh, advantage lies with the Hurricanes. I think the way they move the puck is exciting. I, I think what Jakob Slavin has been doing, I think he's, what, third in, in scoring, something to this effect. If Boston can shut him down and shut those kids down, it becomes very interesting. But back to what I was saying earlier, I think the emergence of Carlo and how he showed that he can lock guys down, that's going to be very interesting. Also, it's only one game, but I think you'll really see how much the Bruins are going to miss McAvoy and the way that he quarterbacks things. Because once he's back, he really poses a problem for opposing teams. And I just think top to bottom, and we can we could talk about, you know, the Connor Cliftons and all these other guys. We talk about Dougie Hamilton. And again, I just think the advantage lies with Carolina. And that might be enough because defense might win this series. But I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. 
AJ, knock it out. Well, I actually think, you know, I think the edge goes to Boston and, and I think it's a, a razor thin margin, but I do think it's because uh, they're a more shut down group. In, in my opinion here, you've got Chara. Um, you talked about physically pounding the other team. Uh, that giant of a man will certainly do that. Uh, you mentioned Carlo as well. And, you know, I think they do get some offensive support too, from guys like Krug uh, and McAvoy here. So I, I, give the the slight edge to uh to boston in this uh you know pairing but it's only slight for all the reasons matt that you mentioned with carolina and jakob slavin leading the way uh offensively with 11 helpers you know guys i think matt made a very important point tonight is the night that carolina really has to take advantage of the fact that boston's missing one of their top four guys they're the big minute eaters on the blue line leaving the scraps for the third pairing of grizzlick and camphor who aren't going to be the big factors in this series i don't think uh, the top four of the bruins has to match what carolina offers uh, we know that they have a little bit more uh, depth in my opinion uh, over the bruins on the blue line when it comes to the the guys that they can put out there on a regular basis and in, in terms of the top four i think they've got offense galore uh, and they got a solid defensive acumen from all of them I don't think you can say that about the top four in Boston's case Uh, two guys are offensive minded two primarily defensive minded right now so I think the marginal edge in terms of the top four goes to Carolina and they've got to exercise that advantage particularly in tonight's opening game to uh, give themselves a chance to get the get the early edge uh, looking ahead Uh, when we look at the uh, goaltending matchup on paper, it looks lopsided. Tuka Rask playing the best hockey of, of his season right now and uh, instrumental. I think he's the team's MVP so far in these playoffs, guys. The way he's gone head-to-head with a couple other goaltending situations and come out way ahead. And uh, I, I think he offers the Bruins a big advantage here uh, on paper. But, boy, when you put uh, the performances of McElhinney and Mrazek up against him in these playoffs that advantage is not as pronounced in terms of what they've actually done on the ice here. Matt, uh, what do you think about the breakdown? I I agree. If you look at it on paper and you're a casual fan, you chuckle when you see this matchup. But I think I read that Mirage came back to practice on Monday. So it looks like maybe Brindamore might have, depending on how you look at it, a problem or an advantage here because if he has a goaltending problem that's going to be something where carolina i don't know if they'll be able to get out of their own way but if he can roll a dice and throw a two-headed monster at boston and give them fits we got to remember in the last two series i think boston fell behind 2-1 in both of those series is <laughs> if that's the case here and boston falls behind two games to one and brindamore starts throwing out these different goalie matchups that might be trouble but yeah on paper it's it's Tuka Rask all day long aj yeah i i, I still even not on paper, even, you know, eye test and everything. Um, I'm, I'm still going to go with Tuka Rask here, if only for the experience. Uh, Mrazek has been great. McElhinney came in and was solid himself as well. But uh, for me, Tuka Rask tried and tested here, uh, battle hardened. And so I, I give the edge here to, to Tuka. Um, and again, ever so slightly, you know, when we get down to this point in, in the playoffs, you know, we're talking about a fine line here between, you know, uh, what's going to get you to the next level and, and to pick the cup in the end here. So uh, I, I think it's a close one here, but uh, I, I'm not ready to look, uh, you know, uh, look down on Tuka Rask at this point. And it's prediction time, fellas. And uh, I'm going to get off the fence here and uh, start thinking with my 
head instead of my heart, and uh, my head's telling me the Bruins have just too much top to bottom to falter right here. They're uh, they're uh, looking to me like they're going to win this series in six games. AJ, uh, what's your opinion? Man, as much as I don't want it to happen, uh, Boston has had way too much success lately as a city across the sports uh, spectrum here. But for me, uh, I do think it's still going to be Boston. I'll go seven games. I think Carolina will uh, will get their wins at home, uh, and Boston will have to do the same and use home ice uh, to take this series. Matt, do you think we're going to see the Carolina team wear the old Hartford Whalers jerseys in this series? (laughs) <laughs> I would love if they did. And if they did, I, I would 100% root for them. But I think that uh, AJ might be a little annoyed because he's so used to black and yellow. His whole house is painted with <laughs> black and yellow. I think he has to turn that to black and gold. And uh, yeah, I'm going to take the bees. And uh, I think they do it in six. All right, so you're with me on that one. We have, we're unanimous in this regard. Let's see if we have a tiebreaker in the next series where we look at San Jose and St. Louis. And uh, the season series was a tight one, 2-1 to one for San Jose. The goal scoring was very low, uh, 7-6 overall so on aggregate. So are we expecting a low-scoring series? Time will tell. But again, AJ, I'm going to lean on you first to break down the offenses here, uh, looking primarily at the forward matchup. What do you see? Yeah, I see. Honestly, I see a St. Louis team that's kind of outclassed when it comes to the forwards here. Um, you know, they've got some talented guys. There's there's a ton of uh, pieces on this team that, that I really love. You know, Vladimir Tarasenko is kind of their stud guy, although his production hasn't been uh, overwhelming as, as much as you would hope it would be uh, for a player of his caliber. So with Schwartz, Schwartz and Shen, that's a great first line. Uh, I think their concern is on the left wing a little bit outside of that, who they're going to put with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron on that second line. Looks like Sam, uh, Samuel Blase to start, Patrick Maroon, Bozak, and Robert Thomas as the third. And again, some shuffling around on that fourth line as well. I love Oscar Sunquist. Uh, I think he gives them a slight advantage when you match up these fourth lines because I think he can produce obviously Alexander Steen uh, there as well. So I do think the fourth line for the blues is probably the best fourth line still in the playoffs at this point, but the rest of the lineup just doesn't match up when you've got Timo Meyer, Logan Couture and Gustav Nyquist as your top line coming back with Evander Kane, Thomas hurdle and the aforementioned Joe Pavelski, uh, Marcus Sorensen, jumbo Joe Thornton in center on that third line with Kevin LeBanc. And I do think they've got some options here too. And Jonas Donsko is a guy who has played top six minutes uh, playing in a fourth line role. And so uh, to Matt's point earlier, uh, you know, they just have so many guys. You know, if I told you that Melker Carlson was going to get the game winner in game one, you'd say, yeah, that probably could happen. Um, And it would totally be believable. Uh, And so I think they're just outclassed in terms of, uh, you know, overshadowing San Jose or St. Louis rather. Uh, and so I think it's it's a big advantage, in my opinion, uh, you know, heading into this series. So, uh, Paul, I'll let you, uh, you know, disagree, agree uh, closer than I'm kind of giving it credit for. What do you think? I, I think it's a little bit closer, partner. And I'll say it because of the strength down the middle. The experience that the St. Louis Blues can trot out there at center ice is something that really is an attraction for me. 
Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, and Tyler Bozak. I'll put that trio up against any team in the league. Uh, I'll say certainly in the Western Conference. And uh, then you got the hometown hero, Patrick Maroon. Uh, he's a rallying point here for this club, I think. Robert Thomas has been a fantastic young addition to this team. And Alexander Steen ranks as the fourth line right winger. That speaks to a lot of depth on the St. Louis side as well. So I'm going to suggest that that uh, while there's a ton of firepower that you mentioned on the San Jose side, the depth that St. Louis can counter with makes this a very narrow decision in favor of San Jose. I'll still give them the Duke just because of the quality of some of the guys that you mentioned, but uh, don't sell the Blues short. They've been uh, they've been firing on all cylinders with a lot of depth in, the, in their corner as well. Matt, uh, am I closer to your opinion, or is AJ still uh, with a lopsided uh, advantage, uh, something that you're thinking about? Well, my first question is, where, oh, where is Dougie Wickenheiser when you need him? Oh, boy. Because, yeah, no, I, I like what AJ says about the depth, and I like Sundin, I like Bozak, and, and while Alex Steen is good, he's no Thomas Steen. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that a lot of people might sleep on the depth and character that St. Louis brings. But, again, the firepower of San Jose is just, even if it's a couple of ticks too much, I do think in the, in the forwards uh, land that the Sharks are at an advantage. But here's something interesting. Even strength. That's where the Blues need to strike. Because I think it was the past five Stanley Cup winners have been like among the best come playoff time at even strength. And the Blues are right there. And the Sharks are going to need to go to special teams to really showcase their their talents and their advantages. Five on five, th- this is nice and even and fun, and it's exactly how the finals, or the Western Conference finals, should be. Matt, you're going to break down the defense for us. Uh, you're up first. I, I mean, look, what, what's to break down here? St. Louis has a lot of good young defensemen, and, and they've been doing it, doing it well. But the obvious, the sexy talk is going to be to go to Bernsey and Carlson and don't sleep on Vlasic. And I just listen, Carlson kind of has not really been Carlson. We talked about the injuries. We talked about how he might be hampered in changing his game. But once this guy wakes up, this series could and I don't want to blaspheme this series could be done in five if Carlson wakes up and says, all right, I've had enough. But I just think the advantage goes to uh, to San Jose without running down the roster, so to speak. That's an interesting one for me. I, I want to hear what AJ has to say. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah, I think I think it's one sided. And I, I, you know, I know, yes, maybe not uh, himself, quote unquote. And that's only because he hasn't found the back of the net yet. He's still got 12 points. In 14 games, all of them assists. And so uh, eating up over 25 minutes a game, uh, playing a ton of shifts, actually. That's another number that doesn't get mentioned a lot. You know, number of shifts, uh, that's up over 30 per game. He's he's uh, 31.2 shifts per game as well. And so uh, I I wholeheartedly agree with Matt. I think it's definitely uh, a one-sided matchup here as well in terms of they just offer so much offensively, and then they do have a handful of shutdown, you know, kind of guys that that can, um, you know, stop opposing offenses. So for me, again, this is another lopsided uh, decision in favor of San Jose. 
I'm going to disagree with both of you guys just because I like the depth of the St. Louis side, fellas. I know the star power is with San Jose. You've covered that off very well. But let's look at, I'll begin my point by saying, look at the third pairing that St. Louis is going to trot out. Carl Gunnarsson and Vince Dunn, these are two large fellas that can play the defensive side of the puck very well. In terms of depth, I don't think there's a third pairing on the blue line that, that equals these guys. I'll go out on that limb and say that uh, loud and proud. And uh, I, I love the way Alex Petrangelo playing, reminiscent of his the best days in his career, leading the team in scoring so far in these playoffs. Colton Pareko is a big monster, too, on the blue line uh, that can score and play defense uh, with anybody. Jay Bomeister, top shutdown defender. Oddly for me, the weakest link uh, on the St. Louis uh, team might be Joel Edmondson, the partner for Petrangelo on that first blue line pairing. But uh, that's five out of six guys that I'm really, really comfortable with. Whereas on the St. Louis, San Jose side, I think that you can get to that third pairing and say, Joaquim Ryan and Justin Braun, I'm not intimidated by those guys. And there's been many highlights that I've seen where Eric Carlson and even Brent Burns have been something of a turnstile on the defensive side of the puck. So they've got to do more than score uh, in this series to to gain the gain that advantage that you guys are talking about and i just think that uh, even the stars on the san, san jose side are vulnerable defensively so i'll uh, i'll go out on that island on my own and we'll see how that turns out we'll have it'll be a talking point for the next round for sure uh in terms of the net mining situation marty jones for me uh has played his, some of his best hockey in these playoffs. He's had one stinker in the postseason, but the rest he's kind of held the fort. And boy, did he come up large in in uh, different stages of that uh, second overtime, uh, that last game of that series, rather, and uh, tipped the scales, helped tip the scales for San Jose. So I uh, picked a great time to play his best hockey of the season. And I'm going to give him an advantage over Jordan Bennington, as much as it pains me on a personal level to say that. But Bennington has done everything the Blues fans could have hoped for since he came on the job and uh, I don't think it's a pronounced advantage Matt I'll say that but I do think that the experience and the fact that Jonesy's playing in some of his best hockey is a real bonanza for the San Jose Sharks right now yeah and I mean I'll pound my chest here uh, when we started these conversations at the first round I said that as Jonesy goes so goes the Sharks and it's not like you needed me to tell you that but yeah he really has picked a great time to get hot but on the flip side, for all of the firepower that we are touting San Jose for having, it doesn't do them any good if they can't get it past the hottest goalie. And if this series goes deep and long, which which I think it might, it's going to come down to the fact that on the other end of the ice, Bennington is going to stand on his head. I mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he's, he's pitching to a 1.8 goals against or something to that effect. I mean, it's really one of these things where you have two hot goalies and that's what makes this the best time of year. And I'll end it by saying two things. One, referees put your whistles in your darn pockets. And two, I have a friend named David that lives out in San Jose and there are certain medicinal things that are allowed there. And he tells me every time he sits down to watch the Sharks, he has his little uh, paraphernalia next to him just in case Marty Jones starts to show him the Marty Jones of earlier in the year and he needs something to take the edge off. So that's what I'll say about that. Hey, CBD oil is legal in this country. I'll say that too. There you go. <laughs> AJ. Yeah, I, I think Matt's uh, dead on there. Is it's it's whatever Marty Jones wants to show up, the one that got the hook twice in the first round series, 
or the one that dominated uh, the last series, including that two overtime game. So uh, I, I think he's hitting the groove right now. Um, and I, I think he's going to, you know, kind of cruise here a little bit. Um, you know, they, they have so much firepower. You know, I, I talk about this all the time. Netminders don't always have to be great. Sometimes they can just be good if they've got enough firepower in front of them. Uh, I've mentioned that uh, in the past with Marc-Andre Fleury, who uh, occasionally will give up a, a pretty bad game. But when you're supported by the type of firepower that he had in Pittsburgh and now has in uh, Vegas, when you have those bad games, they can bail you out. And so uh, for for as much as I think Marty Jones can steal a game uh, as well, he's also capable of giving up a bad one. But he just needs to be good enough in this series uh, with the uh, the offense that's ahead of him. Prediction time, fellas. I'm going to go on record as saying this is going to be a tight series, reminiscent of the three games they played in the regular season. I don't expect a lot of goal scoring, but I do expect San Jose to rally around their veterans. Uh, Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton, I think, are going to go to the big dance, but it'll take them seven games to get past the Blues, calling the Sharks in seven. AJ, what's your call? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mentioned uh, down the stretch here that I thought, you know, it was going to be, uh, you know, big, big advantage at four, big advantage at D and a slight advantage in the nets. And so for me, it's Sharks in five. Uh, I think this will be over uh, relatively quickly. They'll win two at home. They'll steal one on the road uh, and then call it a, a day in game five here. So uh, I, I don't expect to see the Blues uh, putting up too much of a fight, unfortunately. Matt, break, well, it, break it up here for us. AJ, have you seen the size of Craig Marube? Are you sure you <laughs> want to say this? I mean, and honestly, I, I do think that that big Marube, he could be a WWE wrestler. I think he's got this team going in the right direction. And a lot of times magic really means a lot in, in these situations. Uh, but I'm with Brunzi here. I think it does go seven. And I give the nods to the San Jose Sharks. All right. Well, we're in agreement on the winning team. So if that holds true, we'll see Boston and San Jose in the finals. And that, there'll be a lot of talk about Joe Thornton in that uh, series sort of come to pass. Yeah. Uh, Matt, AJ and I want to thank you once again for joining us. You're an excellent follow at Matt underscore Striker underscore. Your contribution today was exceptional, just as it always is. And where can people find some of your other work? Uh, thank you. I, I love coming on here. And I do have to say that you were one of the first people that, that gave me an opportunity. And I want to thank everyone at Rotowire. I want to thank you. I want to thank AJ, even though AJ's mean to me sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> Uh, you can find my work, Fantasy BB Hour. I am now the host of the Fantasy Baseball Hour on the Fantasy Sports Network, doing writing for Razball and uh, Matt underscore Striker underscore Instagram. The kids told me I got to get an Instagram. That's real Matt Striker. And if nothing else, you can find me walking the streets of New York City. Feel free to say hi anytime you see. AJ, some final thoughts from you, my friend. Yeah, I just want to throw, you know, we're not going to do our full FanDuel segment out there, um, but there are some single game contests tonight. So I just want to throw out, you know, my thoughts on strategy here um, for our listeners that maybe have stuck around in, in hopes that we would talk FanDuel. Uh, so for me, I think you got to pick a winner, right? You got to decide who's going to win in that Carolina Boston game. And once you have that, I think you stack heavily on one side or the other and then try and find one value guy. I don't think you're going to have a ton of success. So in those single game contests, you pick a captain and then four utility guys. I don't think you're going to have a ton of success if you split it up. 
Uh, it is high risk, high reward, obviously, if you pick the wrong winner, uh, you know, you're going to go sour there. So, uh, for example, if I'm picking Boston tonight, I might look at a Bergeron as my uh, captain, David Backus. Uh, Marchant and DeBrusque filling it out. And then I like Nino Niederreiter as my one guy from the other team. So that's at least how I would approach your single game contest stack. Whoever you think is going to win the game, high risk, high reward, obviously, but that's what we're here for. We're not here uh, to turn that 25 cents into 50 cents. We're hoping you can turn that quarter into a big win or that dollar into a big win, whatever sort of stakes uh, you play. AJ, I'm going to ask you one quick question before we sign off in that regard. You made me think now, what if you go a big, with one team and one one entry and then go big with the other another the other team and the other entry can you enter the same contest yeah absolutely and and that's actually what i what i have done tonight you know obviously uh the risk there is you know one of your entries is going to hit and the other one won't obviously when you when you break it down that way but i think there's opportunities to get enough off one of those entries to cover the loss cost so uh if you want to go the other way Carolina, uh, particularly for me, I'm going to go Sebastian Ajo as my captain, Justin Williams, Dougie Hamilton. I'll stick with Nino Niederreiter, and then I'm actually going to stick with Bacchus as my discount guy from Boston. So yeah, absolutely can do that. Take uh, a lineup from each side. Obviously, the risk is you pick none of the guys who score in the game, uh, and you lose both of them. But at least it gives you an opportunity there. You know, the goal being obviously that you win enough off of one of them to cover the loss for the second one matt and i are going to run to FanDuel right now and put in teams on both sides aren't we matt <laughs> yeah no i don't ever like to side the game but i i do agree and i think it's great great advice by aj i'm a big uh, daily fantasy guy stacking is the way to go but there are other people that think that if you do side a game meaning you take a little from each side that you also can uh can find your way but in these types of games who could possibly imagine? I mean, Justin Williams, yes, but there are so many guys that could pot that game winner. So many guys that can step up that it, it's really hit or miss. But I do, I do like the strategy that AJ's given out there. And uh, hey, Brunzi, can I can I borrow some money? I got to go make a bet. <laughs> Will you take Canadian coin? <laughs> Nobody takes Canadian coins. <laughs> then I might not be able to help you. Guys, uh, that wraps up this episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ and uh, Matt. Uh, our next episode will take place on the eve of the Stanley Cup final. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJSholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.